0: if you 've got your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter one Philippians chapter one. Um, we are in the month of Thanksgiving. This is the month that we, that we set aside specifically to, to celebrate thanksgiving and I, and I know there's parts of me that still you know i I'm, I'm, 've already pulled out and pulled my Christmas music out. I know that, but this is <laughs> But this is the month we typically set aside for Thanksgiving. And oftentimes we, we can just get into the holiday groove and we can really miss the idea of Thanksgiving. We can miss the idea that it's supposed to be a, a 365 day a year thing that Christians do. We as Christians, we as Christ followers should live in a state of thanksgiving. And I love that we, we kicked that off last night at our Bible conference, this idea that Christians are to always live in a state of giving thanks. And I, I, it's, it's a difficult thing for us, as I think as Americans, um, we miss this stuff. We miss this stuff. And what I want to try to do from the power of God's word as I want us to look through the text and I want us to see the, the power of God's word when it comes to the idea of living a thankful, living a grateful life. And so I, I, I thought, man, it'd be a great idea to go through the book of Philippians. And so I want us to go through the book of Philippians for a little bit and just see how Paul writes this stuff to the church of Philippi. And so um, the idea of this is not, it should be a lifestyle. It shouldn't just be a month out of the year. It should be a lifestyle for us. And the book of Philippians was written by Paul during his imprisonment in Rome. So I want us to think about this, that the the, the pages that we're reading in Philippians were written from a man inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, but he's not in some sort of a, a um, resort. He's not... He's not laying on the beach at a resort. But the tone of the text, you'd think maybe he was. You'd think maybe, oh man, he's having a good time wherever he's at. He's he's so grateful. He's so thankful. He was sitting in a Roman prison. And if you know anything about the history of Rome, it wasn't the Four Seasons. (laughs) It it just wasn't. And so um, around around 60 to 61 A.D., Paul writes this to the church of Philippi and who this church was majority, the majority of the church was made up of Gentiles. So folks like you and I, the, the church was made up of Gentiles. And so the tone of the book, the tone of this is one of gratitude to Thanksgiving. And, and I want like I said, I want us to just take a few moments to understand the idea that he is sitting in prison while writing this letter. And the tone is not, oh, guys, listen, the food here is horrible. It's just rough. I'm down here in this prison cell. Oh, it's just rough. It's hard. He's not, he's not saying these things. He's not saying, woe is me. Or, oh, pitiful poor me in prison. No, it's not. It's the direction of the tone of the, the letter is completely different. I love his opening statements in Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in, the, in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the, de- and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is this, his opening statement. This is a normal greeting that Paul usually gives is this idea of grace to you. Grace to you. Peace from God. So he's, he's opening the letter here with this idea of, hey, I want to extend grace. I want to talk about grace here. And then we move into verse three and it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is how he starts the letter. The idea is that even in prison, every time he's thinking about the brothers and sisters at the church of Philippi, he gives God thanks for those individuals. When when he's in the most dire of straits that a person could be in, he's talking about how he's thankful for his church. He's sitting in prison and he's he's saying, the first thing out of his pen is thank God for you. I thank God for my church. I thank God for the saints at Philippi. Rather than complaining about his circumstances, he's expressing his desire of gratitude that he is able to, Be able to pray for them. He's thanking God for the brothers and sisters. We as Christians need to be better about thanking God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? We just do. We need to be thanking our mighty and sovereign King Jesus for those believers that are in our lives. Rather than making comparisons and complaining about brothers and sisters in church. Listen, I know. Like... Some of you don't like other people for certain reasons. I get it. I understand that. But here's the thing. The common denominator for all of us is Christ Jesus. And in 10,000 years, the differences that we might have here are not going to be even, even worthy to compare because Christ is going to be in front of us. We should be, rather than complaining comparing ourselves to our brothers and sisters in church, we should be taking the time and the energy to pray and encourage those that are in the church. Amen? Like, that's what we should be doing. Praying people in church, it, it, it changes the inside and outside. It changes the things. What would it look like in our lives if we as Christians... Dedicated ourselves to pray for those in our church. Pray for those people that annoy you. <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> How would it change our outlook on what's going on around us if we said instead of complaining about circumstances, we're praying that God overcomes circumstances. Rather than complaining about, well, you know, sister so-and-so, you know, brother so-and-so. And they're just da-da-da-da. what if we just said, God, I can't love them but you can through me. I can't love them, but you can through me. And so, God, I pray that you'd change my attitude, you'd change my heart, and that I would be thankful for that individual, and I would pray for them, and that I would do anything and everything to show off your grace to those people that are around me. Praying people in church, praying for people in the church and outside of the church. Furthermore, I want you to see in verse 4, look at what happens in verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for you, all making my prayers with joy. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all, for all of you, I'm making my prayer with joy. This isn't a begrudging, oh man, I let me just, Lord, thank you for Darren. Thank you for tar- We're not. That's not happening, right? He's saying, in his prayer, he is exuberantly joyful he's so overfilled with joy so so this is saying here that when he's praying it's not a just it's not a begrudging prayer it's a joy filled prayer he, he's not he's not just grateful for them but rather his heart is filled with joy when he thinks of how this church has carried out the mission of the gospel in the city of philippi He is just overwhelmingly excited. What would it look like if we were overwhelmingly excited for those that are in the mission, in the trenches of sharing the gospel with the the people of Cedarvale? If we overwhelmingly had the joy built up in us and said, Thank you, Jesus, that you have given me the ability to come alongside and put my shoulder to the wheel with brothers and sisters in Cedarvale. Thank you, Jesus, that I get to be here. Not that I, oh, I have to be at church today. No, You get to be at church today. Amen. You get to be here. He's not just grateful. He's overwhelmingly joyful. And then keep going in verse five, He keeps. Furthermore, because of your partnership in the gospel from the, this day until now. So this is why he's excited, the partnership of the gospel. Like I said, the common denominator is Jesus. That's the common mission, to preach Christ, to show off Jesus, to preach the death, burial, and resurrection, to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection with those that are around us. Listen, if some of us took as much time to use our influence to spread the good news of Jesus and who he actually is, who he actually is, We would not have the time to complain and compare our lives to somebody else. Amen. We just wouldn't. And here's the biggest thing. This is, this isn't my notes. It's just a side note here. When you begin to compare yourself with other people and man, I wish I had this. I wish I did this. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. When you start comparing yourself to other people, what you're saying is God, what you did in me isn't good enough. And that's the truth. But here's the deal. That's not the truth. What God did in you is specific and it's on purpose. You've been given the gifts that you've been given for a reason. Amen? That's what you've been doing. That's what God's been doing. If we were living out thanksgiving in such a way that we were actually thankful for where we are and what we're doing, rather than just going, oh, man. I see over there across the fence, the grass looks a whole lot greener over there. on that. If I could just get to that other side. You ever seen cows, Ronnie, on one side of the fence? They, they, man, the, that grass just looks so good. And then they put their neck through the fence. And sometimes that barbed wire just rips and tears and slashes at the neck. Sometimes that'll happen to you. you oh, man, if I could just, the grass looks greener over there. If I could just, if I could just get over to that, to that spot. If I could just get to that group of people. If I could just have that influence. If I could just have that ability. If I could just have that much money. Then, man, I could do so much better. Water the grass where you are. Tend the place where you are. Invest in the place where you are. Amen? This this is what it would look like. Rather than say, man, I wish I could get over across the way, stay focused on how much Jesus has done in your own life. I'm telling you, your outlook would be different. And I mentioned this last night in my sermon last night, in Acts 27. God affirms this in Acts 17.26. He says that you live where you live for a reason. He's determined your allotted periods and the boundaries of your dwelling place. I want you to think about this. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus determined and appointed who you would be, what sex you'd be, where you'd live, and how long you'd live. Like, that's, God determined all of those things. God did not make a mistake with you. You are not a mistake. I know sometimes we feel like, and I've said this a couple times, oh, we had a little, you know, Junior, he's just a happy little accident. Not in God's economy. Not in God's economy. Like, this shows off the absolute sovereignty of how mighty King Jesus truly is. And furthermore, that should cause in us to be bold to live our lives in such a way to show off the, the gratefulness and the thankfulness of who Jesus is. You're right where you are. God has you right where he wants you to be. You are where you are for a reason. And don't take that for granted. Amen. Don't take that for granted. And on the other hand, when you see and hear and say things like, "Man, I I know I was born like this is the and I and I have to say this because this is the culture we live in, and so people might hear this, and I'm, I just want you to understand something: God doesn't make a mistake. And you say, "Well, God made me a man, but man, I just wish I was a woman." I listen. My mom used to always say, "Never mind." I'm not going to say it. Never mind. I'm not going to say that. The more I think about, it, that's probably not a good idea. So, but it just. These are recorded so I need to be somewhat tame. I'm <laughs> just the idea that you're not a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. And when you start saying things like that, when you start saying God, I know you made me this way, but man, I wish I was this. You're telling the tri- Listen, you're telling the triune God of the universe you made a mistake. Like that's bold, not bold, like confidence bold. that's just stupid, bold. To tell the God of the universe that He made a mistake? I don't think so. I don't think so. God does not make mistakes. You are who you are on purpose, and you should celebrate that fact. Hey, I, I told that to a group of about a thousand young men this last spring. At a conference, I said, Listen, young men, don't let the culture tell you that being a man is evil because it's not. And ladies, it's not evil that you're a woman because God pre- predetermined this. Before the foundation of the world, God knew who you were. Amen? He knew who you were. And then to, to further add to this, look at verse 6. Now, verse 6, I might get a little excited over. I know you think, Caleb, you've already been excited. Listen, I'm going to tell you a little bit. Or I'm going to get even more excited. Verse 6. And I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I need you guys to understand something. God does not, listen, God does not regret saving you. I know that sometimes we can think in our minds that, oh man, God's up in heaven wringing his hands about me today. I've heard people say that, man, I bet God just really, just wishing he could have a mulligan on me. No, he doesn't. God does not regret saving you. He saved you on purpose. He saved you on purpose. How do I know this? Because the Bible says so. The Bible says so. Like he's not up in heaven looking at the Holy Spirit and the, the Trinity has not got a meeting going together going, man, I can't believe, I can't believe we saved that one. Really? How do we, why would we save that one? Ephesians chapter 1 gives us the confidence to know this. Even, and starting in Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So look at that. Even before the foundation of the world, God knew who you were and he predetermined beforehand that you should be holy and blameless before him. Woohoo! Like, now that should get you somewhat excited. Amen? Like, that should really get you. And then you keep going to verse 5. Uh, verse five he predestined us for adoption. Listen, when you're doing adoption, God, God did all the work. God knows everything about you. He knew every secret sin you'd ever sin that nobody else knows about. He knows those thoughts that you've had. How many of in the room have had some pretty funky thoughts? I'm not, me and Marsha? That's it? Okay, Steve. All right, Steve's in the back. Alright, cool. Darren, come on now. I've, I've talked to Tyler, so I just, you know. But he he predestined us for adoption. He knew everything about you and he still came after you anyways. He said, I want that one in my family. I want that one in my family. God does not regret saving you. Dear child of the living God, he knew everything about you and he, listen, he knew you'd be a hot, crazy mess. He's not shocked by your sin. He's not going, oh, Oh my gosh, that actually, how did that happen? Wait, what? He's just Yeah, I knew that. I saw that a millennia ago. I saw that coming down the pike a millennia ago. I knew it was coming, but guess what? I love you anyways, and I came to buy you back. I came to buy you back. Because, and here's the thing. He, listen, he's the one who chose you. You didn't choose him. You, oh, Caleb, I don't believe that. Hold on. Just so you know that's the truth. John 15, 16 says, You did not, this is Jesus speaking, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. That's Jesus talking. That's that's, that's the red letters. This is Jesus saying, You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit. That your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name... It may, may be given to you. He, Jesus, knew everything—every rotten, depraved thing about you, every lustful thought, every prideful action, every filthy word that's ever come out of your mouth—and he still came to set you free. Now, that, like I said, he who began a work in you—did Jesus begin a work in you? Yeah, I was—I was just out of high school in 1998, fall of 1998. I came to understand the depths of my depravity and that I was a religious lost kid just fresh out of high school and that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and I was a religious kid that looked good on the outside. I was a whitewashed tomb that was pretty on the outside and Jesus said, that's you, boy. You're full of dead men's bones, but guess what? I can breathe life into those bones. I I can breathe life into those bones. So when Paul writes, I am sure of this, he most assuredly is sure of this, that God who began the good work in your heart and life is sovereign enough to see it through to completion. Don't ever forget that. Not only is God big enough to choose you and to save you, he's big enough and strong enough to keep you into his good graces. Whew. Like, listen, this, that one verse, that one verse destroys the idea that you can lose your salvation. Because what, what did he say? He who began a good work is faithful to, to see it through to completion. Who's the one that's faithful? Not me. As John MacArthur says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. <laughs> if you could, you would. He's, he's strong enough to keep you. Because that's that's just who he is. God's sovereign enough to save and to keep you. So understand this. You're not, listen, you're in the room here. You hear this audio. I want you to hear this. You're not too messy that God regrets saving you. Caleb, you don't know my sin. You don't know what I've done. I'm sure God. I've had conversations with Dozens of people say, man, I just don't understand how God can even like me. Because sometimes, aren't there days where you don't even like yourself? Anybody? Because we think, man, if, if I don't like myself some days, man, I'm pretty sure, man, God's big. Why would he even care about me? Because the Bible says he cares about you. That we can cast all of our anxieties, all of our cares on him. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares about you. God doesn't regret saving you. He knows you and loves you. That's why he is convinced and awakened. He, that's why he convinced you and awakened you to his need. That, like I, I've said this half a dozen times. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of people in Cedarville, Kansas, this morning that woke up and they were not concerned about their sinfulness. They didn't care. They were not concerned with wanting to know more about Jesus. They were just living their life according to the flesh. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I want something that makes brings me pleasure. Those three things. It's all their, just auto just autopilot on. And there's there's dozens of people this morning who have no idea that they need Jesus. And that their sin is what's causing their problems. That God awakened you to that, that's mercy. That's amazing. So this is why Paul writes in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. So he says it's right that I feel this way about you. It's right that I feel this way about you. That I love you. It's right. Why? Because the God who loves and saves me is the one who loves and saved you. Amen? Like, that's good stuff. We're a bunch of redeemed sinners together. We're a bunch of redeemed sinners together. So therefore, we are to hold each other near and dear to each other's hearts. Why? Because King Jesus said so. That's it. No one in the kingdom of God is better or worse. The ground around the cross is level and the only one who is better in the kingdom is Jesus. The only one that's worthy of worship is Jesus. The only one that's worthy of praise is Jesus. Not me. Not me. It's Jesus. And we're going to do that together. Listen. We're going to be standing around the throne together and we're going to be singing the praises to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And listen, you aren't going to be looking over me going, I wonder what Caleb thinks of me. You know what we're going to be thinking? Wow. Are you you seeing this? Walina, are you seeing this? And she'd be like, yes, Caleb, I'm seeing it. I know, right? Mm -hmm. Look at this. And as I mentioned in my sermon yesterday, this verse helps me understand and see why we need to do what we're supposed to be doing. 2 Corinthians 4.15, we talked about this yesterday. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, may it increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Like this is the idea What we're doing here is to not just stay confined in the walls of the building. we got to get outside of the walls of the building and we start telling more and more people about the goodness and the glory and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when grace extends, people become thankful because they realize how sinful they were and they're thankful to God that they've been redeemed and reconciled. Amen? Come on. Out of the mouths of babes. Come on, man. That's good stuff. When sinful humanity comes to the point where they repent of their sins and they trust the Lord Jesus Christ, thanksgiving is a natural outpouring of our lives. And listen, this is how we change the culture. Just a slow, steady, consistent walk. That's how we change the culture. But it it only happens when we take an activated role and walk on purpose. We walk on purpose. So that you may approve of what is excellent, so that to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. That's what you're to do. This is the idea in the text here. So that you may approve of what's excellent. We walk around and we do the things that we do. We come alongside and listen, when, you love, when we love each other well, the scriptures say, when you love each other well, that makes people understand that I'm your God. They're going to be like, man, why in the world does Robert and Caleb get along so well? Why? Because Jesus is king of their hearts. Because Jesus is king of their hearts. Right? Why do these guys love each other the way they, why do they give so sacrificially to help? What is the difference It's because Jesus sacrificially gave to change our lives. So therefore, what we do is we sacrificially give to change other people's lives. And to point them towards the ultimate changer, Jesus. Amen? That's what we're called to do. That's the direction we're supposed to go. Like, let's let's just make the commitment here and now. This is the year. Starting, this, starting in this season, that we're going to live a year-long life of thanksgiving and praise and glory for His name's sake. For His name's sake. For the glory and the praises of God. That's verse 11. And that's, that's it. That's it. And then we're going to see next week the beginning and the advancement of the gospel the advancement of the gospel, when people walk in this way, when we're praying for one another, when we're coming alongside each other and having a joy-filled prayer life for each other, what happens? Christ increases in the hearts of men and women in the places where we live. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Not because I say it, but because the the Word of God says it. Amen? Amen. So as as we get ready to go into this place, In this season of having Thanksgiving, what you and I need to be doing is we need to be on purpose saying, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to pray for that person? How can I come alongside and be a blessing? How can I be a blessing to those who need to to know Christ? Well, pray on purpose. Always and in every prayer of mine, for you all, I'm making my prayer with joy. So when you have your prayer time today, God, I thank you for my church. I thank you for the men and the women who are in this place. I thank you that, God, you have chosen me to be in the place where I am for this reason. Don't look at it, man, I wish I was over at that other church. Man, I wish I was with that other group of people. Nope. I'm thankful for the people I'm with. I'm thankful that I get to put my shoulder to the wheel with Tyler Jones. Robbie Gage. You didn't say my name. Okay, just put your name in the, in the, in the bucket. Put, put your name in the bucket. I'll go with you. Let's go together. Amen? Amen?